It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Our world is ever-changing, and many would argue that our leadership style has not kept pace with those changes. Today's guest, Scott Miller, works with some of the world's greatest leaders. He joins us to share insights that can make us become better leaders and take our personal and professional lives to the next level. Scott is a speaker, author, Franklin Covey Senior Advisor on Thought Leadership, and host of Franklin Covey's On Leadership with Scott Miller podcast. He's the author and co-author of multiple best-selling books, including his newest, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, Volume 2. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, my pleasure. Thank you for the spotlight today. So, Scott, sometimes it feels like our world is changing at a rapid fire pace. Do you believe that our traditional method of leadership, which was that command and control style, does that still work? Well, certainly not, right? I think what needs to happen now is post-pandemic, if you will, post the great resignation, the quiet quitting initiative going on, we've got to have what I will call an individual style of leadership. No longer does it work where you have one style of leadership and you command, you control, you require everybody to align to your style. That worked in the 80s and 90s and maybe a little bit into the 2000s. But now that you've got people that are choosing to quit their jobs and go work somewhere else. And perhaps you ask them where are they going? They might say, I don't know. I might open up a, an Etsy store or create an NFT or something. You've got to have a style that meets everyone exactly where they are. People listen differently. They want to be validated differently. They want to be rewarded differently, engaged differently. So this is why, Joe, not everyone should be a leader of people. I think it's a, it's a common challenge in companies where we lure often our top individual contributors, our top individual producers to become leaders of people. Because in most companies, the only way to have power, influence, earn more money, a bigger title is to lead people. But not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everybody should be a commercial airline pilot. And not everyone should be a leader of people. You mentioned a pandemic and with all of the pain and suffering that we experienced, I think this was one of the great things that did emerge from that time in our lives, people started to realize what was really important because I think we were living ourselves, we were living our lives just overstressed and burnt out and and miserable. So I think that is one of the benefits that did come out of that period. I think you are exactly right. I think everyone came out of the pandemic thinking more clearly about their life, their values, their legacy, how much they do or don't want to spend wrapped up into their career. I think a lot of people's identities going into the pandemic was their professional title, especially perhaps those people who were single and didn't have a strong you know, family role to cleave to, if you will. But I think you're right. The silver lining is that everybody is reassessing where, where in their life does their profession sit with them and how long are they willing to tolerate a boss that they don't like? People are quitting bosses in droves. 
you know, the, the adage is true. People don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad leaders and corrupt cultures. And to your opening point, if you want to create a culture where people choose a high level of engagement, because leaders don't create engagement. Everyone's talking about how important in measuring their levels of engagement now, but leaders don't create engagement. You can't force someone to be engaged. You can't lure them, but you can create a culture where they feel respected and engaged and inspired, where as the boss, the leader, you're not the genius, but you're the genius maker of others. You ignite their genius. That's when people choose to stay another six months, another year or two. You mentioned the great resignation and and quiet quitting. If these types of changes that we're talking about today don't take place, what's going to happen to our workforce if people are are basically saying, I'm done, I'm out of here? Well, I think we'll see people, whether we do or not, we're seeing a massive change in the way people view their professional lives. I don't think people have the same values that maybe people of my generation, right? You see people that are 16, 18, 20 years old that haven't even gotten their driver's license. They don't care. Mm. Buying a car is no longer a rite of passage. They just take an Uber or they walk or take public transport if they can. I think buying a home for many people is not no longer a dream. Maybe it's out of touch, but in many cases, people don't find that as a rite of passage anymore. So we got to be careful as leaders to deliberately create cultures where people want to choose to come and perhaps as importantly, Joan, choose to stay. I think going into the pandemic, the average tenure of someone in their company was about 18 months, which for me is kind of, you know, unheard of. I stayed at Franklin Covey for 26 years. My father worked at Lockheed Martin for 32 years. A lot of us had this sense of loyalty that no longer is present. And that isn't an indictment of the younger culture. They just have different values. So if you want to create a culture where people choose to come and choose to stay, as opposed to opening up an Etsy store, creating an NFT, or having four side hustles. People now can cobble together a fairly good living by not suffering under bad leadership. I'll repeat that phrase. People don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad bosses and corrupt cultures. And I think people of my age, I'm in my 50s, and I think I've seen both sides of this coin. My parents were in the 50s and 60s. And so they had the, you know, nine to five, you went home, you had dinner with your family, Sundays off. That was the culture that I experienced when I was younger. And then as I got older, we started to to realize you needed to put in the overtime and then you needed to work weekends. And, and so I think we're just kind of course correcting back to what we used to have, which which I don't think is a bad thing. I think there should be an emphasis on family and raising your children and, and all of those things. And I'm, and I'm kind of excited about the changes that I'm seeing. I think that's insightful of you. And I think companies are feeling the same. You're starting to see global companies become much more interested in life balance for their employees, their impact on the environment, their social policies. They recognize that the younger generation will not come to your company. They will not bring their genius and their creativity to your company if you don't value them as a whole person. If they can't bring their whole selves to work, if they can't set boundaries to say, listen, I want to give you my all during these hours, but I have to recharge. I have to check out. I have to take my PTO or I can't give you my all when I am here. I do think leaders are learning this quickly and they're building cultures to, to, to magnetize best talent in. Because if they don't, the alternative is they will lose the war on talent to their competitor and they'll never thrive. 
And I think the younger people that are coming up with that new mentality, where for someone who's in my age group, we almost have to reprogram ourselves because we came up with that. If you don't do certain things, there's no way you're going to get ahead. So it's going to be a little bit more challenging for people in my age group, but I, I really do like the way things are heading. Again, I think that's so insightful. You and I are of similar age, and I grew up kind of thinking the boss is always right, kind of like I kind of thought mm-hmm. the, our parents were always right. We know that's not true. The boss isn't always right, and our parents weren't always right. People are feeling much more willing and the freedom to express their thoughts and disagree and, 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 and maybe even horrifyingly quit. I mean, people just quit on a dime. People interview for jobs. They get hired and don't show up. It's, it's a whole different generation which is why I've got to come back to this, this, this idea of if you want to lure in the best talent, if you want to then not just recruit them but retain them, you've got to every day asking yourself, what kind of leader do they need from me? Not what kind of leader do I want to be because Joan might need a different style of leadership than Tim does. They communicate differently. Some of them are empathic. Some of them are left brains and right brains and visual learners and auditory, and they like to work independently or interdependently. And that now is kind of a more taxing burden on leaders than ever before. It requires a level of engagement from leaders that is probably unprecedented. And to your earlier point, I think you're absolutely right. I think now the, the employees are taking control of setting their own boundaries. And as an organization, you won't accommodate them. They will just leave. I'm not saying that's right or wrong or overboard or underboard, but it's a new reality. And if you, again, want to recruit and retain the top talent out there, you've got to talk transparently about it. You've got to set clear goals. People have to feel like they're winning. You've got to celebrate wins as much as you celebrate the setting of goals. it, It is requiring a level of leadership we've never seen before. And people have to really ask themselves, am I up for that? Should I be a leader of people or should I just be helping lead the culture? And I think it's important, you know, we're talking about on the leadership side, but for even just employees to have a better understanding of what's important to them, what their values are, what their goals are. And so if someone wanted to make that personal assessment to see what they want to achieve in in his or her life, what are some of the best questions that we can ask ourselves? Well, I think you've hit on a great question. You know, nothing will be clear in life. You'll never have enough fame, attention, credit, financial security until you've defined what those values are. I think you should do just that. It's an exercise that I went through about 15 years ago. I sat down and I, over the course of a couple of weeks, not a couple of hours, but a couple of weeks, I sat down and made two very contemplative, deliberate lists. On one side were my personal values and the other side of the list were my professional values. I think they're different. I don't think people go to the extra work zone of making a list of their professional values. For example, my personal values ended up forming an acronym, PhilPal, P-H-I-L-P-A-L, purpose, health, integrity, loyalty, positivity, abundance, and learning. Those are the seven personal values I have in my life. I memorize them. I hierarchically organize them, and I tried the last 15 years to live my life, and make my decisions in alignment with them. But then there are my professional values. My number one professional value, I'm quite comfortable saying, is I want to maximize my income. I don't work for joy. I work for freedom. I work for financial liberation. I work to provide opportunity for my family. My number two professional value is I want to work with and for a brand that I'm proud of. 
Like I'm proud to say I work for the Franklin Covey Company. And number three is I want to work with people that I like and trust, that I actually would invite to my wedding or come to my Thanksgiving dinner. And those professional values sometimes are in conflict with our personal values. If my number one value is purpose, being a father of three sons and a husband, that sometimes may be at odds with what it takes to you know, create financial independence or to maximize my income. I think it's okay that your values are sometimes in conflict because then you don't know, then without that exercise, you don't know why you're not succeeding or why you're frustrated or why you're quitting or moving around. Highly encourage people to sit down, take the time over the course of days or weeks, get clear on both your personal and your professional values so you can know when they are aligned and when they are in conflict, and then what will you choose to do about that? You and I, I think we're both really blessed people because for a living, we get to talk to some of the greatest minds in their respective areas. And so you get to sit down with all of these people that are really out there changing the world. From the years that you've been doing this and and now in, in your book, what are some of the greatest lessons that you've learned? Can you just share a few of them with us? Sure. Uh, Like you, I'm privileged to host what is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. The book I've just written called Master Mentors is based on that podcast. Interview Deepak Chopra, the famous medical doctor and now, you know, a a sort of mindfulness expert. Everybody knows who Deepak Chopra is. He said something to me, Joan, that stopped me in my tracks. He said, you know, there are two types of people. There are human beings and there are human doings. And I think that really, that really had a profound impact on me because I'm a human doing, writing books and podcasts and radio programs and writing blogs and columns and all the things that I'm doing, an entrepreneur. I, I own a speaker's agency and a talent agency and on, 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 and on. To what end? I have three young boys that are 8, 10, and 12, and I've got to make sure that I'm being present for them also while providing them embraces, right, and, and basketball lessons and new tennis shoes and things and vacations. So that from Deepak Chopra was profound. Stephen R. Covey, the author of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talked about the difference between being efficient and being effective. They sound similar. We use the terms interchangeably occasionally, but they're very different concepts. There's a time to be efficient, washing your car, mowing your lawn, posting on social. There's a time to be effective, and that's usually always with people. He said something smart. He said, with people, fast is slow, and slow is fast. Know when to be efficient and when to be effective. Then another one is Kim Scott. She wrote a book called Radical Candor. It's a remarkable book about how, as a leader, arguably your biggest contribution to your team is giving them feedback on their blind spots. Exercising radical candor, moving outside your comfort zone, talking about the undiscussables, giving them feedback on their speaking style, their self-awareness, their collaboration skills in a gentle way that balances courage with diplomacy. Because what Kim Scott says is the opposite of radical candor is what she calls ruinous empathy. Because you can show people too much empathy and they never understand what it's like to work for them, work with them, lead them, be married to them, live next door to them. And so I think Kim Scott's idea of calibrating your, your, your courage with a sense of diplomacy and having a direct but respectful conversation with people on your team about their own blind spots can be life-changing for them. 
And I think that that's all wonderful advice because I'm seeing myself in each of those things that you described and, and how I've grown and, and changed over the past 12 years of doing this work. So I think those are really great insights. And, and I want to just touch upon one thing before we run out of time. People who are leaders, they tend to think that if they show any type of weakness or if they ask for help, that is a sign of weakness. Is it ever okay for a leader to show that sign of, of needing assistance in some way? Well, I think the answer to your question lies in the competencies of leaders, right? These are things like, you know, setting vision and creating systems of, you know, delivering profit and results. But I also think as important as reading a P&L is showing vulnerability. Joan, I believe to your question that vulnerability is a leadership competency in 2022 and beyond. Is knowing judiciously when to say, hey, team, gather around. I want to share with you an experience I had two years ago when I lost a big deal with a client, or I had a courageous conversation with an employee and it went sideways. And here's what I learned about what I said and how I said it. I don't think that means you walk around confessing all your sins or being an open kimono or having, you know, a, a license for your own bad behavior. It's just saying, Hey, listen, you know, I, because I'm a leader formally, does not mean that I'm omniscient. It doesn't mean I know everything and done everything right. I'm learning and growing just like you. I think it's important to realize that leaders, one of their biggest contributions, Joan, is to recognize their job is not to be the genius. Their job is to, in fact, achieve results with and through other people. I'm going to repeat that. Your job as a leader is to achieve results with and through other people. And that means you're in the relationship business. We know every company is now a technology company. Whether you're selling tulips or lingerie, you're a technology company, and every company is the same business. They're now in the people business. So as a leader, you've got to ask yourself, beyond your technical skills, how are you at developing relationships? How are you at, at talking about your own struggles? Not your own personal struggles per se, but the things you're still learning and growing and making it safe for others to admit their mistakes. Because as a leader – when you're willing to teach through your mistakes and own your mistakes, you then build a culture where it's safe for others to do the same. Yeah, it's bringing the best out in other people. And that's why that command model doesn't work, because you're just beating people up and you're not creating a safe space. Well said. And I do think that it doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable. It doesn't mean that we still can't be vulnerable and say, hey, listen, my vulnerability, my my diplomacy does not exonerate you from owning up to your behavior, or you still have to meet these goals, right? I, you can still be a gracious person and make it clear that we have made commitments and we've agreed on certain deliverables and I and you have to meet these together. I think some people think that if you're too kind or too nice or too empathetic or too vulnerable, it gives people license to take advantage of you. And that is the case in some times. Some people will choose to use your empathy to weaponize it against you. Those are the outliers. We don't manage those people. We sometimes manage those people, but we don't manage to those people. You're looking at the bell curve, right? Looking at this, the middle 70% of your potentially high producers and your high producers, and you're building an intentional culture where you demonstrate all the behaviors as a leader that you want to see in your team. This is why leadership is so hard because – as a leader, you have to model in your own behavior everything you want to see in your people. Empathy, transparency, vulnerability, accountability, punctuality, 
offering apologies, admitting when you're wrong, levity, knowing when to be serious, creating and delivering on results, acknowledging it when you've dropped the ball yourself, not passing the buck. It's a high standard of leadership, but you get someone that takes it seriously and recognizes that, in fact, they do need to model all the behavior they want to see in your people, and you have an unstoppable team. The book is Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, Volume 2. Scott, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Well, you can visit my website at scottjeffreymiller.com. All of the webcast episodes are there, all the books that I write, all the books that I author on Amazon. You can just Google me, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Love to have you connect and follow on LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. I'm there. I don't think you do enough, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would tell you I do too much, and she's right. So I am trying to bring uh, another leadership competency, which is focus and discipline more into my life. Do less, better. Scott, in our final moments, what would be the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? You know, I think another wise thing Dr. Covey said, he was the founder, of course, of the Franklin Covey Company. He said, you can't talk your way out of a problem you behaved yourself into. And I think, you know, I think that's so important today when we're all running so fast and we're almost overcommitting and perhaps we're in over our heads or we're experiencing imposter syndrome. You can't talk yourself out of a problem you behave yourself into. You can only behave yourself out of it. So offer an apology with no excuses. You know what? I have to tell you, I've way overcommitted. Um, it's my fault. I was too ambitious. I wanted the fame or the accolades or the attention from this, and I just I've, I've committed to too much. I need to recalibrate my my expectation with you. Or I'm sorry that I said something in the meeting last week that was offensive to you. I clearly offended you. I take responsibility for it, and I'm going to do better next time. Sometimes just a simple apology or an acknowledgement of your own behavior without any excuses, what you did wrong and what you're going to do different can have a huge cultural impact on your team, but also build trust with others. Because most of us think we're trustworthy, but you don't get to decide if you're trustworthy. The other person decides if they find you trustworthy based on whether or not you've behaved your way into a reputation of being trusted by them. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a wonderful conversation, and I would love to have you come back. You can come back on the show anytime you'd like. Joan, I would be honored. Thank you again for the spotlight and the platform. I appreciate letting me talk about Master Mentors, the second volume in a 10-volume series from HarperCollins. There'll be 10 total books in the series where I highlight 30 different guests from the On Leadership podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.